Welcome in. It's the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Coming to you live from Real Sports in downtown Toronto. The Fan Checkdown is presented by ProLine Plus, the only sports book where 100% of the profits go back to Ontario. Okay, so I, was, wasn't, I wasn't on the show yesterday. I don't need a kick at the can here with the, the Chiefs and the Niners. But I, will, I wanted to ask you this question. Because um, your team and my team are both losers, as they are seemingly every year. Does it matter, in your case less so this year, but in my case, yes. Does it matter if your team loses to a team that gets to the Super Bowl? Like, Do you feel better or worse about it? So when I was a player, I felt better about it. Because then you could, and this is all irrational, but you could rationalize we do nothing, to yourself. We do nothing irrational on this show. Well, fair enough. You rationalize yourself, well, we lost to the eventual champs. And maybe if the scoreline was closer, then like we were second best. It doesn't matter because, to your point, I mean, I wasn't going to use the harsh language as loser, but to your point, <laughs> there is are. only one winner at the end of the day. And history will not remember any of these other teams. Maybe if you lose in the Super Bowl, yeah. like we've got those chapters. Oh, that's right. Mahomes came back from 10 down against the Niners in that Super Bowl. Yeah, George Kittle got there and vowed that he'd be back. Like That, that was cute. But ultimately, we remember the winners, right? History is written by the winners. So, yes, I think if you're part of the fan base, certainly a player, you can cheer for the team that beat you because you can convince yourself that you're that much closer. Like, if you lost... If you're the Cowboys, my team, yeah. and you got blown out by the Packers, there's no conversation. You're not close. Yeah. Because the Packers then went on to lose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I don't feel that way. I'm not going to lie. I actually don't know how I feel when it comes to that because part of me is like, well, you lost, so it doesn't really matter. What does Ricky Bobby say? If you ain't first, you're last. Because at the end of the day, like you said, it doesn't matter if you don't win. I look at it and say, well, the Ravens were totally outclassed in that game. In terms of... Like, not their defense, but offensively, we were expecting a lot more. And I know you went, I know you, you had your thoughts on Todd Munkin and that offense and the game plan. I agree with that sentiment. Now, as a Bills fan, I look at it and go, well, I, I feel like they could have beaten, you know, I feel like they could have beaten the Ravens in that game. And then they probably would have got rinsed anyway. So I just say, it doesn't matter because you lost. And you say I'm very harsh with my term loser in this one. Mm, I don't feel that way because if you don't win, you lose. But being a runner-up, not a loser, a runner-up, is a judge sport. And now as we sit here on January 30th, the conversation about the Bills is, well, man, Baltimore, they gave you the blueprint. They ran the ball down the Chiefs' yeah. throat. They were physical. And ultimately they lost to Patrick Mahomes, but they, they had a valiant effort. Yeah. Where people are looking at the Ravens saying, Man, you, you didn't even follow your own game plan. Correct. <laughs> you fumbled the bag at home uh, with a chance to go to a Super Bowl. So I, the conversation we're having about the Bills on January 30th is appreciably different than the yeah. one we were having about them on January 23rd. It's the true. 22nd. It's true. No, I don't mean to make this a Bills thing, so I will stop that. Um, okay. Lots of our listeners are also. Suffering Bills fans. Yeah, well, they can get in line. Although Lions fans are joining them in that suffering club. So that was, you know, that really kind of bugged me about that game because, again, there are instances where you have you have a persona, right? You are a team that takes, you know, Dan Gambler. He takes his chances. 
But there are times in the game where you have to look at it and go, no, Dan, you kicked the field goal there. Or, no, Dan, you don't run that play there. Like, there were so many instances where I just looked at it and be like, the Lions should be in the Super Bowl. You had a 14 point lead. Like, and of course, it's that ridiculous. They had a 17 point lead. 17 point lead, even better. It was that ridiculous Brandon Ayuk catch where he doesn't, you know, give up on the play that ends up being kind of the turning point because that's either a, a really long incompletion or what should have been an interception. And we're probably not having that same conversation. Uh, before we go any further, Tim McAuliffe, host of Sportsnet Central Who? and co-host of, uh, of Football Nate Shin with Nate Burleson, will join us in uh, about five or six minutes' time. And, and we'll talk about all these things. Before we get there, uh, the Chargers make their GM higher. And it is Ravens Director of Player Personnel, Joe Hortiz. Um, started out as a... Like, this is one of those kind of like the Brad Holmes thing with the Rams. Starts out, he was an, Brad Holmes was an intern. Uh, Joe Horty starts out as a personal assistant back in 98 with the Ravens. He goes personal assistant to pro scout, to area scout, to national scout, to director of college scouting, finally to director of player personnel. When you look at a hire like that, without knowing a ton about Joe Horty, everything that I've read about him is that people think that this is a great hire. Now, there are a lot of people that say that all the time, and it ends up not being a great hire. But in this case, he is coming from an organization that has had lots of success, especially since 98 when he started working there. Does that make a difference to you? Or do you think it's like, I don't care if you came from the Cleveland Browns or the Dallas Cowboys or the Buffalo Bills or whoever, as long as you're the right guy for the job and you bring those intangibles. Or do you think that there is something more to coming from a winning organization and knowing, you know, what it takes to win. I'd prefer that than coming from a losing organization and bringing those habits and cultures. I think this specific hire is all about one thing. Familiarity and family. I was gonna I was that was gonna be my next point. This is someone that you know. Yep. Your family knows someone you know you can trust, and someone who knows your vision, ultimately. And we've seen it, whether it's the coordinators. We've seen somewhat of a work exchange program between the University of Michigan and the Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> and so you go up and you go down. And now that we're not going to have that university placement anymore, we see the Harbaugh's swapping staff in the NFL. I think this is someone who understands exactly the type of player and person that a Harbaugh coach team is looking for. It, but I also think if we look at whether it's the two teams playing in the Super Bowl, whether it's the four teams playing in the conference championship, I think one of the similarities is in many ways the GM works for the coach. Yeah. Where the coach has the vision, is setting the standard in terms of the types of players we want, the schemes that we're going to run, and the GM is ultimately fulfilling that order by getting the appropriate player. It's not top-down and saying the GM is hiring the coach yeah. and saying this is how I believe we should play, and you are giving me a promise when you take the job that we're going to play this way, and I'm holding you to that standard. I think a trend, we talked about this with Michael Lombardi yeah, last yeah. week, a trend that I think we're continuing to see. Yeah, well, it's that, that trend of, it, for the longest time, 
almost exclusively for the longest time, it was GM hired, he hires coach. Or president hires GM. There was that trickle down, right? Like you saw the ladder. Now it's head coach gets hired. There's no there's no rhyme or reason. Head coach can get hired before the GM. We saw that with the Raiders. We've seen that with the Chargers. This is an ongoing thing. We saw it. Um, I mean, the Falcons, they hired Raheem Morris. But we all know that the uh, reporting structure is head coach and GM report to the owner and not, you know, head coach reports to GM who then reports to president to owner. Everybody reports to the owner now because a lot of these owners now are very hands-on and they want to know what's going on at every level of their organization because it is a toy, but it's also a very expensive toy and it can be one that can make you a lot of money if you're an NFL owner. It's a recipe for disaster. It does feel like it. Because... Who has ultimately the accountability on how things go when the results aren't there? If everyone's winning, then everyone can take some credit in terms of what they added to the equation. But if things don't go to plan and all owners think they should be winning like yesterday, yeah. well, the coach is going to say, well, man, I don't have the players. And the GM is going to say, man, we have the players. We've killed the draft. But the coach is not utilizing them correctly. That pick that is a bust. They're not a bust. His coach is not getting the most out of them. So you get the Spider-Man meme where everyone's pointing at each other, <laughs> which is why no matter how you shake it up, whether it's GM hires coach and then they have a philosophy or coaches in place because you want that coach and then they get a GM to fulfill the order and what they want, at least there's alignment in terms of vision. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I'd be curious to see how these work. Like, I wonder if this is just part of that cycle where, hey, let's try this out, see how it works. But then eventually it just gets back to, no, no, we should go back to the reporting structure that everybody has been doing since the beginning of time in sports that has worked for everybody else. I th- I think it is just that. I think the owners owners now are way more involved than and maybe that's the advent of social media and we just know more about it. But it does feel like owners are way more involved now than they ever have been. Some owners are. And I think now... Not your boy, Jer- Gerald takes the cake. He's on a totally different level. He does a press conference with a <laughs> mink coat on. Like, What are we talking about? <laughs> it, it, some owners, especially when you look at the cost of these franchises, you're, you're buying it for what? So that I can be seen. If we look, think about the owners whose names we know. Yeah. Arthur Blank. Jerry Jones. David Tepper, they want to be a part of the equation. Do you know what the various members of the Hunt family looks like? You only do because they stand up and hand when they them win, a trophy. Yeah. But we never hear from them, and I think that's the difference. But there's nuance to this. What I love about our next guest is he finds the gray. Oh, don't give you, not the gray in, up... in our various beards. Yeah, don't... he finds the gray in a very binary black and white. Society when it comes to analyzing sports. You're going to make his head big now. Too let's, br- let's bring him on. Okay, he literally let's, has let's a bobblehead. So <laughs> whether it's he's at the status where he has his own bobblehead or his head is so big that he has his own bobblehead, his head is already big. I've known him for a long time. I would never even say that about him. Uh, Tim McAuliffe, host of Sportsnet Central and co-host of Football Nation with Nate Burleson, joins us now. Uh, I'm sorry for the slander, Timmy. I don't know what has gotten into my co-host here. but he's You guys are talking about my me. beard? No, he's talking. He said you had a big head. Like I said head. our beards, by the way. Yeah, he okay? said yeah, he, our beards, the three of us included. All right. Yeah, he, okay. He's talking about. He says that you got a big noodle. I didn't. I don't know. Do you have a big noodle? Um, it's just it's it's kind of a curse. Uh, it just looks massive. 
But actually, when I wear a hat, I'm only seven and three eighths. So that's not a. It's yeah, that's like the same a, as mine. Yeah, like it's it's not a huge melon. It just looks really big. Yeah, uh, I, I will say though, somebody's you're seven cut that, by and three eighths, and you have hair. He is seven and three eighths, and he does not have the benefit of any hair. Right. And, yeah, I guess that's true too. Okay. All right. Fine. Um. Uh, okay. I get have it. you ever noticed the size of Patrick Mahomes' helmet? Well, just when one he's cracking or when he's throwing it. Yes. Yeah, he looks. It, yeah, it looks like it looks like the. This is going to sound really dated to someone who's not even thirty-five yet. He looks like the Great Kazoo from the Flintstones. Hello, dumb dumb. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's making everybody else look dumb, and <laughs> yeah. then, you know, he like, also kind of sounds like that as well. Yeah. Well, he kind of does. You're right. He does sound like Kermit the Frog. So, okay, let's talk about Patrick Mahomes then, because this reputation cannot take a hit here. Like we talked about this before the the divisional round the championship round, and now the Super Bowl. Like, if Patrick Mahomes loses, everybody's going to go, well, look at the receiving group he had. He got this group to the Super Bowl. Like, look at how great Patrick Mahomes is. He's had a, a start to his career akin to Tom Brady. And, you know, we're going to have the conversation, if he wins another one, of, you know, is he in the GOAT conversation? Um, how is How has it come to this that the greatest quarterback in the NFL today has the I-can't-lose-on-narrative street right now? Uh, he's earned it. <laughs> I guess. I guess, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, this was supposed to be the year where he was tested. This was supposed to be the year where, okay, this is where the, the field has been evened if you believe that he had served some sort of advantage through the first six years of his career. And what he had to do was go on the road and beat a good Buffalo team, albeit somewhat depleted on defense, and then go on the road and beat a really good Baltimore team that had a great defense and he did both um, so for me like listen I, I get where we overhype people especially when uh, their best receiver dates Taylor Swift but this is not one of those occasions like we're allowed to celebrate this greatness because right now Patrick Mahomes this year has earned that greatness and I don't know if you know they spent the entire season trying to pull people along and get their rookies up to speed and sacrificed a few things along the way in order to make Rasheed Rice a legitimate, um, you know, two to Kelsey's one or one to uh, a great tight end. But they've done that. They, they, they sacrificed a few things to make this offense work when it mattered most. And I don't know that there's a lot of other offenses and or teams that we have seen be able to do that. And they pulled that off this year. He pulled that off this year. And that's why he's earned the spot where it doesn't matter what happens here. He's still on, like, goat pace. Like that, and I'm, I'm, that's not hyperbole. That's real. He is on goat pace. A couple things. So uh, Taylor Swift is dating Travis Kelsey, not the other way around. I don't want Swifties coming for you, so we just want to put no, that No, you there. want that smoke, Timmy. Everybody wants no, it. I'll he take does, that no, smoke. He does, no, he What's does the not. Distinction? What's the distinction? Oh, no. Taylor Swift is dating Travis Kelsey. It's not. It's not the other way around. When they get married, she will have the prenup for him. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So, oh, God. I would too. I, I see. Yeah, yeah. I, I get. I, I listen. I, I think Taylor Swift is a, a wonderful um, representation for all humanity. Correct. Well, oh, that is well said. Timmy. That I expected more from well you. Well said. I can't. I can't. I can't wait for her to propose to him. Uh, <laughs> 
when they win. <laughs> On stage, yeah. Jim Nance to officiate the wedding and Tony Romo to be the ring boy. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned uh, Mahomes. So, Tim, I know you're a stats guy. Yeah. In the postseason, he's 14-3. and three. Yeah. Essentially, a regular season, he has an amazing record in the postseason. 39 passing TDs, 5 rushing TDs, only 7 INTs. I, for me, and you talked about appreciating his greatness, and he's, the guy's 28. Yeah. We are watching the Jordan era. Like, the comparison to Brady, I get it because they play the sport. I think this is Jordan era because we have never had more great QBs, forget about in the league, in the AFC, in his conference. And he's like, yeah, you guys are all playing for second place. There's going to be a bunch of Patrick Ewings and Sean Kemp's and Charles Barkley's great, historically great players that individually are champions who never win a championship because Mahomes is is that dude. Like, he is dragging, I guess, would this be like the... This the feels like, Le- yeah, the I was going to say the Cavs with LeBron, yeah. That's what like it kind of feels like. Is, is MVS... Wow. Matthew Della Vadova, like he's dragging a a bad football team to a championship. Honestly, I think the best performance he's ever had was the one in the loss in the Super Bowl to Tom Brady when he was running for his life and he was throwing like matrix balls parallel. Is it too early to say that? Like we are we're watching the Jordan of football at, at this moment. Yeah, that's a really, I mean, it's, it's so hard because you think of what Tom Brady did. But if you separate Brady, you might be able to say that this is Jordan-like. Um, is Jordan greater than Brady? <laughs> well, okay, okay, so Timmy, well, Timmy hold on. Great conversation. But, 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 hold on, before, but before Brady we go has, there. Brady had zero MVPs at this point of his career. But, well, that's what I was going to say. The individual yeah. talent that Patrick Mahomes came into the league with is significantly higher than Tom Brady. The difference between Brady and so many other quarterbacks matter. is no, 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 no. But I'm not. I'm not saying that to me. What I'm saying is Brady got so much better as his career went on. For me, I look at Patrick Mahomes and say, like, what? What else is this guy going to do? Because it's not as if you know Patrick Mahomes won championships by being the guy. Tom Brady won championships at the beginning by being. I don't want to. I, I hate Good. the term game manager, but he yeah. didn't have to be great because he had great defenses. I think that's kind of the difference in the early parts of their careers, anyway. Yeah, people forget that even once Brady had won a Super Bowl, there was a legitimate question in New England about whether or not they'd go back to Drew Bledsoe. Like, it's the Steph Curry, Monte Ellis uh, argument <laughs> in Golden State, the uh, Yarrow Halak, Carey Price argument in Montreal where there are legit conversations about one of the most ridiculous things that now we look back at, who would be the man in that spot, and Brady was that guy. Yes, yes, Mahomes, that's why I say go pace, right? But the other part of what Brady did was that he played until he was an old man, and I don't know that we'll ever see that again, like a quarterback be effective, like the idea of a quarterback being effective till. 45 like I think we're seeing Aaron Rodgers test that right like I don't know that we're ever going to see that again and that's why it's tough for the goat pace for Mahomes but what what you're saying is appreciate the greatness of a guy and I think what we do in sports oftentimes is we build them up and we tear them down and I think Mahomes got to a tear down part and 
I don't think we need to tear this guy down. I think this is legit greatness. I think you're watching one of the absolute best, whatever you want to make the comparison on. You're watching one of the absolute best work in his prime, and that's special. Uh, everyone who watches sports wants to see greatness, and even if you're not a KC fan, you should enjoy what you're seeing right now because you're right, Donovan, about what's in his – like, never mind what's like – you mentioned Sean Kemp. Sean Kemp, you know, I mean, I guess he spent some time, some time in Cleveland at the end of his career, but, like, even in the conference, you've got Josh Allen. Like, this might be Isaiah Thomas. Like, we might see other people – win championships that's how good the quarterbacks are in his conference and he keeps going to the afc championship every year in his career and he keeps going to the super bowl i know you're gonna you're probably gonna get tired of the patrick mahomes love but don't it's amazing he's amazing and the numbers support the amazingness well, I'm not getting tired of it because it's different, right? He started and it's like, we're going deep all the time. And then it's like, well, no, you're not. We're going to give you two high shells, put a roof on the defense. It's like, okay, I'll find another way. It's like, oh, well, we're taking yeah. Tyreek from you. All right, well, I'll find another way. I, eventually, Kelsey will you know, re- retire and go on Dancing with the Stars and I'll have to figure out another way. The, the interesting thing about the, Dancing with the Stars are a backup dancer for Taylor Swift's concerts. Dancing with the Stars. Okay. The interesting thing, though, it might be is, too low for him by the end of all this. By the yeah, way, that's, that's so a great high. point by you. Yeah. Cool. The interesting thing is, you know, when we have these binary conversations, we build them up, we tear them down. I think people forget in the heat of it, it was like a cultural choice. Were you Brady or were you Manning? Were you all about the stats, all about the regular season and the great throws, or were you winner guy, clutch teammate, do whatever it takes to be like just good enough? Mahomes is both. Like, he has yeah. given you the stats and the amazing throws, and he's managing the game. I got a great defense winner guy. Somehow, on third and long, I get, like, half a yard more, even though everyone seems like they're faster than I am. I, 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 the other now cultural conversation. Do I have a more to that? Yeah, go ahead. The, the same cultural conversation was pocket quarterback versus dynamic slash running quarterback, and he's both, too. Yes. Yes. Like that, that that's part of his genius and you know, you have that divide between what you want your quarterback to be, oh, I want him to be a pocket quarterback and no, I want to be able to move. Mahomes is neither, Mahomes is both at the same time. It's it, it is truly ridiculous. Well it seemed like to me Lamar was and Todd Munkin were trying to prove like, Oh no, believe us, they we're were pocket that. now. Yeah. Well like how yeah. about you just win the game? How's that sound? Yeah. And figure it out later. The, the now the the conversation is Brock Purdy, and we're gonna get two weeks of it where you are either give him his respect, he's a winner, or well, listen, how did he get more MVP votes than Patrick Mahomes? I, I can see what my eyes tell me. It's like you have to choose a lane in a camp. Either he threw the best pass off of someone's face mask, or he became an elite runner and won the game for them. Where do you stand on the Purdy debate? Because there is no in-between. Yeah, and that's where the uh, the gray of my beard works into my favor because I think that that conversation is ridiculous. I think he wins games. I think he does what he's supposed to do. And I have a theory on why people feel the need to do this to Brock Purdy. And it's the same reason why people felt the need that they, they had to do it with, with Tom Brady. And that's because they never saw it coming. And that's because the house of the NFL is built on this massive draft where they tell you 
that the best players go in the top 10 picks all the time, especially when they're quarterbacks. And yet when you look at the history of the game, the best quarterback of all time came from the bleeping sixth round. The second best quarterback, depending on how back far back you go, is probably Joe Montana. And he was drafted in the third round. So all these people who make all of their money telling you how important this draft is and where they're going to go and what mock drafts were on, version 7, version 8, version 9, or version 18, are bleeping wrong because you can develop into it because it's the ultimate team game. And what Brock Purdy is doing is showing how idiotic some of that is again, and people get their back up against the wall. They want to prove why they know a lot about football, and here's why my first-round pick is better than your first-round pick, and a third-round pick is only guaranteed so much money. And Brock Purdy is blowing that all out of the water by being a good quarterback, and that's what he is. He's better than Jimmy Garoppolo. He's better than, like, he is doing things that they need him to do and winning games. And I ascribe to the school of Herm Edwards, and my guy is winning games. And so you can nitpick what he is, and yes, that was a great bounce off of a face mask, and yes, he looked like a really good runner, at times when, you know, the, the broadcast, when Greg Olson's telling you, well, he's not really that great of an athlete. Well, he looked damn good to me. He, he wins games. And you can develop into something else when you're winning games in the NFL. And I'll wait to see whatever the hell of that development is. But what I know is my guy is winning more games than almost every other quarterback in the history of the game. He's got the third most, he's got the second most wins of any quarterback through his first two years as a starter. If he wins the Super Bowl, he ties Ben Roethlisberger. That's a pretty damn good company. Tim McAuliffe, host of Sportsnet Central and co-host of Football Nation with Nate Burleson, joining Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett here on the Fan Checkdown, live from Real Sports in downtown Toronto. So, Timmy, I'm glad you brought that up because part and parcel with the Brock Purdy talk is, well, he's great because he's with Kyle Shanahan. Here's where I look at this Super Bowl and I say there are two narratives at play here and I and I believe this to be true Brock Purdy's narrative of being a really good quarterback when especially when there were no expectations from him shouldn't change because his team is in the Super Bowl like you said what happens if this Niners team loses the Super Bowl with Kyle Shanahan at the helm? Does he just become the guy that just gets close and, and is always going to be uh, the the bridesmaid and never the bride? Well, the beauty of that for, for Kyle Shanahan is that he's playing Andy Reid. And Andy Reid was once that guy. Um, so I think, like, you know, we get caught in the moment, and that's fine. That's where we, that's where we live. And, and mindfulness tell us to stay in the moment, and that's fine. I, I Listen, the one thing I thought Kyle Shanahan couldn't do uh, come back in games, they did that in the last two weeks, right? Like, uh, the one thing I couldn't, I didn't think Kyle Shanahan could do was keep guys healthy. I thought he ran an offense that got his key guys hurt all the time. Now, Debo's been banged up, but relatively speaking, and, and maybe with most one of the more fragile guys in, in Christian McCaffrey, he's been healthy. He's been proving a lot of the things that you could have thrown at Kyle Shanahan in the past. Now, if he has a 28-3 to lead in the Super Bowl, we can talk again. Um, 
But he's done a lot of things that you didn't think he could do. And, and across the ball, literally, is the guy that he says, that's me. And Philadelphia grew tired of the guy who could get you there but not get over the top. And Seattle has reaped the benefits of what is now working into uh, one of the greatest coaches in the history of the game. To me, uh, obviously, we appreciate your time. We just want to check in on one thing that only your expertise can break down for us before we let you go, because you probably want to go back to sleep before uh, your show tonight. Working overnight, yeah. (laughs) Tim, why does the football community hate TNT? Taylor and Travis. Uh, listen, this is like the most America story for me. You have a tight end from a red state who screams Beastie Boy lyrics and crushes Bush Light at the parade. You have a country singer who, like, last I checked, had a 100% approval rating before she showed up in a football suite. I, I, what am I missing here? Like, why do people hate love? Uh, they're both Democrats. Um, <laughs> well, there you go. Right. Open and check case. Thank you. Uh, that, that, yeah, that might be that might be all the answer that you need. Uh, that, that might, I think we hate everything now. Like, well, let me just one of, one of the things that I learned early in my career, uh, Donovan Bennett and, and Matt Marquez, is go to YouTube and look at the greatest thing that you have ever seen in your life, whether it's a, a comedy routine from Eddie Murphy, whether it's a, um, a song that you absolutely love that you think is the pinnacle of, of success, go find a movie clip on one of those movie hubs on, on YouTube.com from the movie that you think is the greatest singular artistic genius that you have ever seen in your life, and look at the comments. And there will be people in those comments ripping the bleep out of what you just watched, even though you think it is the greatest thing on planet Earth. And no matter what, Donovan Bennett, Matt Marchese, there will be haters for whatever you do. And especially when it's on the level that they're doing it, there is going to be haters. It might just be the first thing that I said, or it might just be, we are all haters. Humanity is haters. That's why Twitter and Instagram work. Uh, truer words never spoken. Donovan, were you looking up uh, YouTube videos to find comments on your favorite thing? Uh, I certainly was. It's um, <laughs> uh, a nice positive note to, to end the conversation. <laughs> I, I, I will actually end it on one positive note. Uh, I've called a lot of football games uh, with Tim, watched a lot of football games with Tim, we have the same sensibilities on the type of football. We like he, he's a Steelers fan, so that will tell you. Uh, the two teams, Tim, that, that we have at the finals, two teams we would often see at whether it's the Yates Cup, the Vanier Cup, uh, some things don't die. Own the line of scrimmage, hard, physical football teams. Evidently, yeah. uh, that formula still works. So I, I know yeah. you appreciate uh, that aspect of what you're going to see uh, n- next Sunday. Yeah, without a doubt. And next time, boys, can I come down to Real Sports or what? Like, I didn't want to bug you to come down here. You're a busy man. Uh, the yeah, next time we're I down mean, here, we're going to tell you to come down. I, th- I thought actually you were coming. I had a plate ready for you, so I guess oh, I'm just going to have – I'm eating for two. Son of a <laughs> – it's good down there. It's it is good. good down there. That's yeah. why we're here. It's good stuff. All right, Timmy, thanks so much. Get back to sleep, okay? All right, there he goes. Tim McCallum, host of Sportsnet Central and co-host of Football Nation.
with Nate Burleson, the great and Canadian Nate Burleson. All right, we got to take a break. When we come back, um, there's some things that we have to go through. Yes. The two remaining head coaching vacancies. When did the public turn on Tony Romo and start loving Greg Olson? And Bill Belichick to do media? I am all here for it. Uh, Matt Marchese, <laughs> Donovan Bennett here on the Fan Checkdown. We'll be back in a few. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett with you here. And we are live from Real Sports here in downtown Toronto. I know I've been waxing poetic about this place. I do not come downtown often outside of going to work. But when I do, I love coming here. I, again, I know, oh, it sounds like you're... No, no, no. It's a, it's a, people have been here that are listening to the show. It's a great spot. There's screens everywhere. Now you can bed at your table. This is literally like my dream. Let's be honest. A lot of sports bars, you go for the ambiance, for the fellowship, for the game. You don't necessarily go for the food. The oh, f- that's a different story here. The food is... It's fantastic. A1 yeah. here. So, yeah. even if you're not watching a game, just come to eat, which is exactly what I'm about to do after we get up here. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're counting down the minutes until we can grab some grub. Um, all right, let's, let's get into a couple things that we talked about before the break. So, two starting head coaching jobs available in Seattle and Washington. Um, Mike McDonald, we talked about the, the family affair. Mike McDonald used to be the Michigan defensive coordinator, now the Ravens defensive coordinator. He's interviewing for the Seattle job. Uh, I'm not sure about the Washington job. But Aaron Glenn and Ben Johnson are also interviewing for these positions. Detroit could, in theory, be without both coordinators, uh, which we saw what happened to the Philadelphia Eagles when that happened. The Aaron Glenn one is surprising to me because remember the narrative? Like, there were people that were calling for Aaron Glenn's job last year, and now all of a sudden he's a candidate to be a head coach? Like, that's that's what one year can do for you. And you wonder how many coaches, you know, were maybe fired a little too premature, or coordinators, really, that were fired too prematurely. If they just had one more year, what a difference it could have made. And for Aaron Glenn especially, it's huge. No question. And I, I think Ben Johnson is getting one of these jobs. I, I feel like it's Washington. It, it's funny. You know, Seattle, and maybe it's just because they haven't, had to do this for a while yeah but they were somewhat late to the party in terms of who they were interviewing and mcdonald wasn't on the original list now they're saying well we'll wait till he's ready to interview and now he's got nothing to do yeah because his team's out of the postseason so he is uh making a late surge there but everyone early said well washington put together a search firm you're getting out there early you're gonna potentially strike first and they've actually been very pragmatic in taking their time. They took care of the front office first. Now they're addressing the coaching scenario. Two very different jobs. But which one's better for you? Like, which one would you rather have? The Seattle one is has a, a team that has more experience. It does have some really good players on both sides of the ball. 
Um, and then you look at the Washington job and you say, if I'm the head coach, I probably have a few years here because they're probably going to draft a quarterback. There's a lot of good young players on that team. There's a lot of holes, too. The defense is, you know, let's face it, it sucked. Um, and now they're in a position where they can really take their time with this. Uh, which one for you is the more intriguing job? So both in difficult divisions, divisions that produced two playoff teams last year, but because of the strength for me long-term in the NFC West, I actually think the Washington job's a better one in terms of being in the NFC East. I, I think McDonald is at play in Seattle because they're thinking to themselves – four times a year, so essentially a you know, quarter of our schedule, we're going to have to see Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay yeah. in those offenses. And who as a coordinator has had the most success against them? It's McDonald. We yeah. saw the Ravens put on a clinic against them earlier this year. The one outlier was when the Rams uh, scored a lot in a loss to the Ravens. I actually think the job in Washington is a bit of an easier landing spot. First of all, you're not coming after a legendary coach who won a Super Bowl. So the bar is easy to clear in terms of making people happy. And it's a new regime, new start on life. There could be a new stadium potentially coming. So I, I think the fact that it's a total teardown and restart gives you a great chance to be successful in that job in Washington. Yeah, it gives you – like time. Time is such a factor. Like, I mean – the Carolina thing, it's funny because we say that and then we look at Carolina and go, how much time do you really have? We haven't really, like this ownership group, we don't know enough about from a football perspective. We know them in other sports. Like we know uh, we know Josh Harris from the NBA and, and from the NHL. We don't know from a football perspective because I feel like the patience in the NFL has really changed. Like, you don't get as much time as you used to. Like, lo- how many guys do we see that coach a team for five years, let alone 10 or 12? Like, it just doesn't happen all that often. The Washington job is super interesting because it does feel like, like, look at the impact that a good offensive coordinator had on C.J. Stroud. Bobby Slowick was a, is a more modern offensive coordinator he's a younger guy he can probably relate to cj stroud a little bit better and his and the way that he schemed up his game plan in houston really worked well with cj stroud i wonder if in this situation where you are bringing in a young quarterback if that is the perfect spot for a guy like ben johnson to go to because of what we have seen he's a younger coach um, he had success with Jared Goff, and maybe he gets, I don't know, maybe he gets someone like a Drake May, and then it, maybe they trade up for Caleb Williams. And now you're talking about the athleticism that goes on with, along with those two guys, and you say, like, okay, now I can deal with this guy more as if he has a skill set like, and I'm not saying that they are Patrick Mahomes, but more like a Patrick Mahomes than Jared Goff, where you are kind of limited in what you could do. I think the comp for me would be Houston. Uh, struggling franchise, franchise that's had some turmoil, yep. that needed a change in culture, needed a change at the quarterback position, but also a coach coming in where who are they going to be compared to? When's the last time they had a good coach? When's the last time Washington had a good coach? Whether oh, it was Ron God. Rivera or Jay Gruden, it's, it's been a mess. Like Joe Gibbs the first time? Like when Mike Shanahan got there, he was a bit past his prime. Yep. So I think this could be a scenario similar to Houston, where we thought 
man, Houston's the worst head coaching job and the worst landing spot for a QB. They ended up being really good and being in the playoffs right away. I think you could have a fast turnaround in Washington, especially because there won't be pressure for the turnaround to be fast. So the last Washington football coach to have a winning record. Wow. Is is Jay Green. is Joe Gibbs. Like winning record overall. overall. It's Joe Gibbs. Yeah. And that was the first stint. Because his second stint, he went 30 and 34. So this is not an organization. And all the off-field stuff, forget even that. This is not an organization that has had a ton of success on the field either. Um, they de- I, With this new ownership group, I feel like things are, are moving in the right direction. Um, if he goes there, they draft a quarterback. I'm very curious to see what happens with Sam Howell. Because Sam Howell at points showed that he can be a good quarterback. He was just running for his life literally the entire season. And it would be, for me, depend on if that quarterback is someone who you believe can and should play right away. Because nothing stopping you from rolling Sam Howell out and allowing him He's to your Gardner Minshew? Pretty much. Yeah. It's a, a younger version of the same player. I don't necessarily know. I mean, if you're picking Drake May, then you're, he's probably he should be starting right playing away. right away. Yeah, if it's if it's Daniels or even if you're moving a bit further down in the draft, then maybe you're convincing yourself that that person can sit and watch a little bit. Yeah, there's no rush to to be getting rid of um, Sam Howell. So the Washington job for both of us is basically the one that we would take. For me, yes. Okay, so I would take that as well. Um, do you want to do Bill Belichick or the Tony Romo Greg Olson love hate thing that's going on now? Your dealer's choice here. I mean, I think we could do them both because they're somewhat related. Because some people yeah. have said, man, I would love Bill Belichick in the booth taking over for Tony Romo. I mean, Tim talked about the fact that you can't have nice things. Eventually, people are going to hate on something. Yeah. And you knew there was going to be a boomerang effect to the love and praise that Tony Romo got early. Oh, man, he's amazing. He's predicting the play before the play happens. To now, he's for some people, run out of things to say. It is really funny how that happens because Greg Olson is essentially doing kind of the same thing. He just doesn't do the Romo Stradamus thing. Like where Tony Romo was literally predicting plays before they would happen. It's funny to me how that, like, we can't, it's like people that say, I hate Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, or I hate, like, why, why? Like, you can't just appreciate them. Like, I love, I love Joe Buck. I'm less on Troy Aikman, but Troy Aikman is fine to me. Um, I know people hate on Chris Collinsworth, but it's like, who cares? You're watching football. Like, this is all gravy. And now it's the thing of, well, we don't like Tony Romo and uh, we love Greg Olson. Like, it's just, it's so funny to me how it turned. It's almost as if Greg Olson did not go into broadcasting. Maybe we don't have the same conversation about Tony Romo because there's no other guy. You know what I mean? Well, I love Olsen, number one. He's great. I I love the way he sees the game. He explains the game. I I think the worst thing that happened for Romo was that he became a celebrity in his enthusiasm and predicting the plays before they happen. And it's almost as if he decided he was going to feed into that, right? We are motivated by what we're incentivized to do. And he tried to give more and more and more of that to the point where it became too much and a stick for some people. I I, I think you're right. The pendulum has swung a little bit too far in terms of the criticism. But I also think, like, what was he replacing? He was replacing for CBS, you know, a 
broadcast that maybe was stale. And so the fact that it was just different yeah. was appreciated. And now that it's not so different anymore, but whether it's Olsen or Romo or Brady next year, I think the first couple of years are easiest because people aren't annoyed of you yet. And you just got off the field. So you remember, I played against this team, this formation. This is what we're going to see. After that, it takes real dedication and work yeah. to be that good. Yeah. Well, and that leads us to the next thing with Bill Belichick. He's not coaching anywhere. Oh, get him. I'm in on this. No, I need, like, no disrespect to the Mannings. Uh, I need an old. The Belichick and, cast? No, an old and grumpy cast. Belichick and Saban. Just oh. in a room with the clicker, rewinding back and forth, just being frustrated at bad situational football or terrible hand <laughs> technique. Like, sign me up. You know what's coming, right? It's the, uh, Nick, can you believe this idiot? Look at, look at, look at this. Why is he running this play? This is not what we did in New England. This is not the Patriot way. Do you imagine him criticizing Gerard Mayo? Oh, well, <laughs> I didn't imagine them seeing Zay Flowers reach for the goal line and fumble and them just losing their mind. Oh, yeah, that is not the Bill Belichick and Nick Saban way of playing football. I, when I, I was kind of, someone had suggested this a bit ago, and I kind of looked at it and I was like, he doesn't give you much in his press conferences. But then you say, like, well, he probably doesn't feel the need to. There is a wealth of football knowledge in that brain. We know that. You don't win Super Bowls that many by accident. Only Barry Switzer won one by accident. <laughs> but well, I, I think I think he <laughs> believes if he gives you something, it's a competitive disadvantage. Yeah. Whether it's for the opponent or just wasting his time talking to the media when he could be prepping. But if his sole job is to educate. I think he'd be great at it. In the few times where you ask him a question about the Naval Academy or yeah, oh. special teams play, he is the most eloquent. Yeah. So where I noticed that was when he did, because he did a little bit of media this year. And I mean a little bit. He was on college game day in the Army-Navy game. And Pat McAfee had him going. And Belichick is telling stories about Lee Corso. And he's making fun of Lee Corso and telling a story when he fell in like a river or something, when the players were chasing him or a creek, something like that. But you could see that, like, he genuinely enjoyed it, and you could see the joy on his face. Something that you never see with Bill Belichick outside of winning a Super Bowl. Like, that guy is as straight-faced as they come. You never I think see it would him be great. at all during COVID when they made the coaches put cameras in their houses during the draft. He put the camera on his dog, dog yeah. and left the room. Like, he does not want the spotlight at all, which is what, why I want to see him with a broadcast set badly if if we were being honest the dog probably would have made a better draft pick than bill belichick anyway <laughs> um Fair. it is tr but it is true though like there is there is a side of bill belichick that i think people are really gonna love and this is without having any knowledge of the man never met him never spoke to him but i do feel like there's something there because it almost felt like the way he dealt with the media was part of the shtick like, it really felt like, I just don't have time for you. Like, I can be really entertaining and I'm very smart, but I just don't need this. Like, this is something that I am obligated to do, but I do not want to do it. Here's what we need. I, I mentioned Saban Belichick would love it. The opposite idea. Fox already has Brady. They throw an offer out to Belichick. They're in the booth together just arguing about what you should do in a situation. You could feel the tension. I think that would be great. For I mean, I, well, for not them. for them, for us. I mean, you get to – but I also think they would – work. 
they would work well together too. No doubt. Like they won Super Bowls together. It can't be that bad. Like I'm sure they had their moments where they didn't agree on things, but at the end of the day, I, I think it would be would be great. Here's the question. I wonder how much of the coaching wins record, how much that matters to Belichick. Like, does he go into media and like it so much? that He's like, do I really need this? Like, I've accomplished everything else. I made all this money. Do I really need to do this? Like, broadcasting is so much easier than coaching an NFL team. And it's not like he's young. Like, he's over 70. Zero percent chance. You think he's back next year? John Gruden had more money than anybody could spend. He was the guy for ESPN and ABC and Monday Night Football. And eventually you get that itch. Eventually you get that itch. Bill Parcells came out of coaching and was a broadcaster three different times. Eventually you want to put a game plan together and go and compete. And I think when you're within shouting distance, especially as the Chiefs continue to win, Andy Reid is creeping up in terms of that wins conversation and is six years younger than Bill Belichick. Could you there's, imagine, there's 0% chance he doesn't try to get back on the Could you imagine line. if Andy Reid says, you know what, I've accomplished enough, I'm just going to retire, and then next year, like if they win this Belichick year and Belichick takes, takes over the Chiefs, do you know who would be the most unhappy person in the world? Me. Because then I know my team would never win a Super Bowl. Oh, that just I think I just got I had a nightmare just thinking about it while I was awake. A daymare. That's what it was. Um, well, that's going to do it for us. On the fan checkdown, uh, thanks to everybody that listened. Thanks to Real Sports for housing us. Thanks to Pro for the Line. show. Thanks to ProLine for bringing us down here. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, thanks to Lance back at Master Control. Stephen Coyle's down here doing a great job for us. Thanks to Donovan, who is literally beside me across the table. Um, thanks a lot to everyone, and uh, we will be back tomorrow in our humble abode back at Master Control. We'll talk to you then.